And you're very welcome along to the gardening show uh, on this Saturday morning. We're just lining up the theme music here because we were talking about plants before That's we started. That's what you get for chatting. That's me. what you get for chatting. <laughs> good morning to you. There's, very the, good morning. there's the music. <laughs> Uh, welcome along. Uh, it is the gardening program here on Midwest Radio for Saturday. How are you today? I'm very, very good. You know, it's lovely. That I think things are getting back to normal. I had a lovely spin down to Mulrani with my my lovely wife. We went for something to eat in Navin's uh, restaurant, and and I thought, you know, things are getting back to normal when you can get out and get some lovely food. And uh, they've built a lovely outdoor area, heated area in Navin's there, and um, we had a lovely evening out. And I thought, yeah, this could be the start of things getting back to normal yeah. and of course the weather was good as well and we, I think we'd that. almost forgotten um, a li- well not forgotten but maybe not allowed ourselves to remind to remember what those kind of treats are like Absolutely. because we just knew that they weren't possible and uh, you know you, people were being practical but now that there is that sense of optimism and that we're slowly but surely getting to do uh, those things it is you are reminded how lovely it is to get it out is. and just to have somebody else cooking the oh and for uh, well uh, for me to clean up <laughs> afterwards is the the bigger thing nearly. Yeah. Well, true, true for you. So having said all that, um, with the good weather coming, and we did mention this last week to our listeners about uh, blight, and we're into that kind of season of blight, and I did notice that Met Airden issued a blight warning last Monday, right through till for the full week, particularly for the west coast of Ireland, because as you know, we've had very humid um, and some days quite moist weather as well. And when you get that humidity and moisture, of course, we get some blight. Um, so really, it's just a, a, a reminder to our listeners that potato blight, if you have potato crops or you have tomatoes, now is the time to treat them and use the bare uh, blight uh, potato blight control. I brought you in a little pack of it. Mm-hmm. It's easy to use. It's a liquid. Um, it's systemic, which means that it enters into the system of the plant. So as the potatoes produce new growth or the tomatoes produce new growth, that's protected. Uh, so if you get a bit of dry weather, make sure you keep an eye on the spuds and do keep an eye out on the Mesh Aaron website. They don't always announce it uh, with the weather forecast, but it's always uh, they pop it up on the um, website yeah. um, and it's under the warning section and you know it's no harm to check that every couple of days once you treat it with something like the bear you shouldn't have to treat it again for at least two to three weeks because as I said this, the um, treatment is working within the plant so irrespective of the weather we get they will be protected so do keep an eye out for that and um, with the warm weather as well I have been kind of focusing in my own garden and watering plants in containers so <clears throat> There's plenty of moisture in the soil. So for plants that have been planted, say, in the last three to six months, they're going to be perfectly fine. There's no need to water them. Newly planted plants will benefit from a a watering. And remember, when we water, we water the soil, not the plants. Mm -hmm. So you really drench the soil and kind of use the soil as a reservoir because it'll absorb that moisture and and retain it. Um, So a good heavy soaking on newly planted plants, but particularly for plants in pots and containers. And as they come into flower, again, it's no harm. Again, about once a week, maybe once every five days this time of year, depending on the plant, of course, and depending on the size of the pot. Uh, but we can often forget plants uh, in pots and containers. So do keep an eye on that and, and give them a good drink of water and hanging baskets will need a, a good drink. So mm-hmm. keep an eye on that. It's going to be great weather as well for lawn sowing. So if listeners are thinking about reseeding a, maybe a lawn, putting in some wildflower seed indeed, or putting in a new lawn. So for the new builds, 
and people thinking about getting the lawns sown. June is a terrific month and particularly this year because we've got high levels of uh, moisture in the soil. This time last year we had actually a very dry period. We're talking about hose bands and being careful That's about right. the use yes, of water. Indeed. Whereas this year there's a there's a huge reservoir of water still in the soil and plants growth is very, has significantly jumped. I mean I see it in my own plants and in trees and hedgerows. There's lots of lush growth there simply because we have that bank of moisture in the soil. Um, so in terms of sowing seed and sowing lawn seed in particular this is the time in June ideally you want to get rid of any weeds that might be there cultivate the soil put in a little bit of preceding lawn fertilizer so something like the Osmo Pro 1 just rake that in chuck on your lawn seed rake it in and within 14 to 21 days it should st- start to germinate and as soon as you can mow it so as, w- as soon as it's about an inch high get the lawnmower on and give it a couple of trims and for listeners that have put in their lawns in the last number of, w- of weeks remember that that the lawn won't, won't start to tiller or fill out until you give it its first haircut and you'll also control weeds as well because weeds will naturally germinate with the lawn seed no matter how clean the soil is there's yeah. going to be a bank of weed seeds there so the physical mowing of the of young grass helps to thicken it and helps to eliminate weeds as well and don't use any weed killers on new lawns because it'll damage them. It'll damage them. It'll damage the, the thing. So so that's important. I brought you in. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, well, uh, what do you think? This, and this was the delay at the start of the program. Identify the plant time, um, and I know it was a cre- I knew it was a creeper of some kind or a climbing plant, um, and I sensed it wasn't a clematis, but I didn't really know beyond that. In fairness, and you sensed correctly. Yes. So this is a this is a plant that I have grown in the garden for probably. 10 or 12 years and people admire it every time it has literally just come into flower um, in the last couple of days and it's a plant called Tropolinium speciosum now don't let that name put you off because its <coughs> common name is called mm-hmm. the perennial nasturtium or it's often called the Scottish flame creeper because in Scotland it grows absolutely brilliantly and it will often grow wild in some areas of Scotland. Um, and if you think that, you know, Scotland has a similar type of climate, well, albeit we don't get the, the snow and the yeah. cold weather in the winter, it has a very kind of mild, warm, moist summer, like the west of Ireland. And this particular plant, Tropolinium speciosum, absolutely loves the west of Ireland. It's a very, very simple plant to grow. And once you get it growing, I mean, I do nothing with this plant and it's growing up through a copper beech hedge. It's also growing up through a golden conifer that I have. And I literally don't touch it. Mm. When I'm trimming the hedge, it gets trimmed as well. Apart from that, it gets no care whatsoever, no feeding. It doesn't suffer pests and diseases. It's just one of those no-nonsense, easy-to-grow plants. It's really suitable. It's quite a vigorous climber. So... Uh, on my beach hedge it's growing probably 12 feet up in the air and it's growing at least 30 feet in diameter so it literally smothers the hedge and is that all from the one plant all from the one plant that i planted many years ago and it just keeps now it, it spreads by underground stems so it's like a cottage garden plants it some of the roots will spread out and, yeah. and it'll spread as well you'll often get a couple of the, the only way to propagate it um, is by seed and even to propagate it from seed it can be quite tricky so even for me, I will often sow a hundred seeds and I might only get half a dozen to grow okay. every 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 um, year. Having said that, this year I have noticed, and, and my neighbours were probably thinking, what is he at? He was on his hands and knees I, because this plant produces a seed in autumn. The seed has germinated 
in, in my garden right along the base of the, the climber about 120 seeds I've harvested just through natural scatter from last year just over the winter it's the first year I've seen it actually happening um, in 12 years that the seeds are germinating naturally themselves. And I think it's down to the very mild, moist winter we've had mm. has just triggered the seedlings to germinate. So I've harvested all those little plants. I did that in March and April um, and I've potted them up and the plants are about a foot high now. So next Saturday, not this Saturday, I'm going to put them on sale in the garden centre for charity. Lovely. So we're and and uh, so we'll have about a hundred plants available next Saturday. So it's a plant, for, and I'll remind people next week. Tra- mm. Plant called Tropolidium speciosum. Every penny we raise from it, we're going to give to to charity. But it's just such a beautiful, easy to grow plant. So much so, I often get regular visitors to my house picking pieces of it. The cars will stop and the people will actually pick pieces of it. But it's absolutely no point in picking the stems or the the shoots of the plant because it's very difficult to get it to uh, propagate. So the main way we propagate is by seed and this year just happens to be a year where nature has done that for us. Okay. And that was one of the first questions I asked Pork when he came into studio with it this morning. Uh, I said, oh, can we grow that from a slip? (laughs) I was eyeing the sample (laughs) that he had brought in. So there's no Yeah, yeah, There's no point pulling it and trying to propagate from cuttings. It's very, very difficult to get it to root from cuttings. The main way is from seed. And this year, it just happens to be a year where the seedlings have germinated and naturally themselves. And little bits of gravel, they just literally popped up. For those who who may be interested in uh, purchasing next Saturday and supporting charity in the process... um, what, uh, how long will it take for your your seedlings now that you have that are, did you say a foot high? They're about a foot high at the moment. Yeah. Um, and they will, I mean, that was in March. I mean, this is only kind of six weeks on yeah. or eight weeks okay. on. They've already grown a foot. So this year I would expect to plant, if you planted, say, next weekend, yeah. I would expect by August it would be six feet high. Oh, wow, we No, it will die back in the winter, so it'll kind of disappear in the yeah. winter. And next year again, it'll be Pop eight up again. feet or nine feet high and so on. So it just, But it's really a plant that's suitable for planting at the base of other plants. So if you have a big golden conifer yeah. or you have a laurel hedge or you've got, um, in my case, be, I have a purple beech. So you wouldn't, oh, think, yeah. you wouldn't think you'd see the flowers against the purple beech, but it stands out brilliantly. I've all, also grown up through a, a golden conifer called Yvonne. And again, the yellow and the red of this particular flower. So the flower I should have mentioned to people is a scarlet red It's flower. gorgeous, yeah. yeah. And it's delicate enough, I suppose. It looks uh, delicate. But there are many of them. <gasps> I was going to say hundreds. There's actually thousands and thousands of flowers it produces every year. It's a lovely, lovely little thing. Uh, So Tropolinium speciosum, the perennial nasturtium, Scottish flame creeper. creeper. Have a look at it on the web, on um, Google it, and you'll see it. And it literally comes into flower in June. It stays in flower till October. It's one of those no-nonsense plants. But it's a plant that you won't see too often. Okay. You know, so, and yeah. I often keep an eye, you know, to see is anybody selling it. A couple of garden centres might have it periodically, but very, very seldom. It's very the nursery people don't bother with it because it's just too a challenge too, for the proper too difficult to, to propagate. propagate. Yeah. 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 yeah, So it's just one of those Wonderful. things I thought was of interest. Something that different. Sounds really so that's fantastic. Why I've been on the hands and knees in. <laughs> if people, if, if the neighbours have been wondering, there you go. Yeah, that's what I was at. Okay, so well, there you go. So they're the sort of things that people should be doing in the garden. So really good planting weather. Great for sowing seeds of plants as well. Um, great for vegetable planting. You can still plant tomato plants, for example. So we have a long growing season. The other thing I should mention is that mm. the paniculata hydrangeas are now available. You know, I often yes. chat about them, like Phantom, Vanilla Freeze. Bobo. 
whim bobo, yeah, whims in industry. There's loads of different colours and varieties, but they're if you plant them now, they will flower this summer and they flower every year at, after that. And that particular range of hydrangeas, hydrangea paniculata, flower on the current wood, which means they flower like roses. So they grow, you prune them in the winter very severely, you feed them in the spring, they start to grow, they're about a foot or 15 inches high and on the, all that growth they produce their flowers. They'll come into flower in about another two to three weeks and they will flower right through till November. Okay. One of the best ranges of plants I could recommend would be Hydrangea paniculata. Go into your local garden centre, ask them particularly for those, the Hydrangea paniculata. They'll have maybe six or eight different varieties, mm. different colours. Lovely one called Vanilla Freeze. Vanilla meaning white, freeze meaning raspberry. And it changes, the flower literally changes from white to this Good. raspberry red colour. Beautiful variety. Phantom is also a, a super variety, but there's any of them are really, really good. Okay. And you get them, as you say, little dwarf ones like Little Lime or Bobo, right up to taller varieties like Phantom, which will grow six foot if you let it. But you can keep it, you can, keep it, you can trim it back, back and keep it shorter as well. Okay, great. So uh, that's, a, that's a good reminder that they are uh, coming into availability for people at the moment. Yeah. Park, we're going to go straight into some questions. So Eileen is in South Roscommon. Uh, good morning to you, Eileen. Hope you can help, she says. We have a beautiful white thorn hedge by the roadside which is being destroyed by many caterpillars in a web that looks like fine wool. We sprayed it last year with Jay's fluid and helped bot. They're back again this year. Any suggestions would be very much appreciated. Nature at its best. So these are the ermine, E-R-M-I-N-E, moth larvae. So it's a it's a native insect to Ireland. It feeds on blackthorn and whitethorn, very common during the months of um, of June. June yeah. and July is normally when the caterpillars are out. And they spin this this kind of spidery's web, web, spider's web over the area that they're feeding on. And that stops the birds from getting them because they're a big well they can be, they begin different colours but generally they're a blackish colour caterpillar and they're quite large so they're very visible to birds but the the fact that the caterpillar itself puts on this kind of web so often when you're passing whitethorn you'll notice that the trees are becoming skeletonized and mm-hmm. that the leaves are being net from them and you'll see this web like a spider's web on them but it's actually the caterpillar so it's the ermine moth larvae it's a it's a it feeds pretty much exclusively on white thorn and and black thorn and very visible at this time of year now it will it will actually eat all the leaves off the plant and they tend to be they tend to come in quite a heavy infestation yeah. now generally speaking once they the they will pupate um, and they will form a moth that in generally august the, it'll it'll hatch out to a moth and generally the moth moves on to another area that it, it, it's it's kind of uncommon for them to be there a second and third year you tend to get a tree that's badly affected and then left alone for for several years um like having said all that i mean the trees will will be the leaves will be absolutely munched off them and they will look bare they will come back into growth again by late summer right and overall it's not going to damage the, i mean the trees will look de- definitely naked uh, after the the caterpillars are finished on them but it doesn't kill the trees it's not going to damage them mm. to any great extent so I, mean, I wouldn't be really advising doing any sort of spraying to be honest I'd leave it alone leave if it, it was alone. a garden tree maybe this is kind of but like for a hedgerow it's kind of a natural occurrence the ermine moth is a is you know it's as common as the honeybee and it's as as the, the ladybirds and all that so I mean you know Okay, you probably just need to let them have their feed and they'll their move feed. on. Let their, they will. Well, hopefully. I mean, I think the listener said it, it yeah, happened she's, last they year sprayed as well. It, yeah, yeah, that's, that's and generally, 
generally that and and you know so generally speaking they, you'd, you'd very seldom see it a second and third year continually a problem on a tree because that would definitely would start to weaken the hedge so it tends to be a kind of periodic problem generally speaking having after a mild winter mm. Uh, because and we've the, had a pretty much. And we've winter. had very. If you get heavy frost, the ermine moth tends to die out. <clears throat> the, the 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 eggs just uh, die away over the winter period. So after a mild winter, which we've had this year, that's why you're seeing them. If you can put up with it, they'll move off in August. And um, you know, I wouldn't be for spraying, to be honest. Okay. <coughs> well, good luck with that, Eileen. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully, it is, they, it's a natural. Yeah. It's it's very very common, very natural, um, and you you often tend to get it in kind of regional areas, and it looks shocking. People are kind of that never happened before. Right. So what's happened to the trees? Like an infestation. Just, yeah, 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 and and particularly the spidery. Uh, the spidery web kind of looks that's unusual. Very interesting that yeah, they have yeah. that mechanism mm. uh, to oh, yeah, prevent the birds the getting birds at them. them. Yeah, 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 and, yeah, and that is true nature yeah. at its best. Absolutely. Now, um, speaking of birds, birds are eating organic slug pellets. What to do? Well, it's not going to do them any harm. That's the first good thing to remember. So the organic pellets look like the common pellets and they are actually they're uh, coloured blue as well because they tell us the birds can't see blue uh, but having said that they're obviously eating the pellets in here look the, the key thing with, with slug pellets is little and often so you know people tend to put them on too heavily so a small amount of pellets on a regular basis is you know maybe once every 10 days put a yeah. very light application out don't keep it you know, people put them on in handfuls. They're too heavy. The birds will see them at that stage. So little and often, you know, you want to pellet maybe every foot. Oh, right. Yeah, that so all? That's all. Because the the, pe- the slug will be attracted to the pellet rather than to the plant. So they'll they'll naturally hunt it out and, and get it. But little and often rather than putting heaps of pellets down, use the organic treatments. They're very good. The other treatment I mentioned, uh, for particularly for hostas, is the garlic wonder, which is a garlic yeah. spray. And I, and I got that tip from some of the growers in... Um, the Chelsea Flower Show. That's what they use and find it very effective and you can get that in your local garden centre. It's sold as garlic wonder. It's a concentrate. You mix it up in water. Once it's applied, it's invisible to birds or pets or anything else. It won't do them any harm anyway, but the slugs dislike the taste of garlic. And you can get it now in little ready-made uh, RTU, little kind of uh, hand, yeah, sprayers hand sprayers that you can put on. So anybody growing their plants organically, use the garlic wonder or use the organic slug pellets as well but little and often small amounts small on a regular amounts. basis yeah. so Anne who had asked that question actually uh, later on about uh, the hostas and the garlic <clears> something <throat> or other there you go Anne it's garlic, garlic wonder, wonder. Yeah. lovely now we you did mention about uh, potatoes and blight and I we've did. got a number of questions in so I'm going to kind of try and uh, bring all of these together as best I can Porik so first off on that Somebody wondering, can they reuse washing crystals and bluestone for potato blight that was left in a knapsack? Yeah, it's better to it's better to um, use it fresh, make it fresh up every time. It'll it'll crystallise within your sprayer and can obviously and can block up the sprayer as well. So, great. Potatoes were sprayed with bluestone, but are on, are brown now. And is there anything we can do about it? Yeah, so bluestone is the old um, traditional method of using, um, and bluestone has copper in it, and copper and copper's fungicides are often used to protect blight. Do remember that it can scorch plants if it's mm-hmm. been on too heavy, particularly in sunlight. And also remember that it's a contact spray, which means that it will protect the foliage that it treats, but any new growth is not protected. So the copper fungicides are only a contact application. So um, as the plant grows, that new growth is not protected. And that's why I mentioned the bare 
potato because that has a systemic action. It's absorbed into the system of the plant and protects from the w- within. So as the potato plant is growing, the, the treatment is moving up into the system of the plant. Now, somebody else wondering about the availability of dithane for spraying potatoes. I, I haven't seen dithane. Now, that's not to say it's not available. Um, you know, again, check in your local garden centre or maybe in a hardware store. Is it one that you stock yourselves? It, I don't think we actually yeah. have it. No, I didn't see it on the shelf. Um, and it's the old traditional. Dithane has always been the old traditional a spray again a contact spray so again you do need to as the plants start to grow you need to do use dithane on a very regular basis a bit like the the um, copper fungicides okay great and i think that most of those um oh somebody was wondering uh, about uh, the sizes you can get for i think the bear spray so oh, you can get how small, small does it come well i mean the one you, yeah so and how much could ground does that cover oh that'll do quite quite a lot i think it does about 300 square meters and uh, this would be the kind of traditional gardener's pack there's enough in that to give two to three applications right through the season and remember because it's systemic you don't have to treat it as often so every two to three weeks is is more than uh, appropriate and do remember you don't have to spray for blight if the weather is warm dry it's just at the moment we've got that very humid moist warm sort of weather so um, it is conducive to the spread of light. Okay, great. Now we have a copper leaf tree. Something is eating and putting holes in them. Any ideas? Well, holes in the leaves can be um, simple uh, pests, pests or insects like capsid bug can put a little pinhole. Um, so it's look, it looks like you've shot a shotgun through the leaf of the uh, plants. Again, if it's only a small amount of damage, don't worry about it. Just leave it alone. Um, a small bit of capsid bug damage. You'd often see it on weeds, you know, uh, particularly on, on red shank and other weeds, these small little pinholes mm-hmm. and that's caused by the capsid bugs. So they're feeding on the weeds as much as they're feeding on anything else. So again, for trees, unless they're really being badly damaged, I wouldn't bother spraying. And generally plants in general, you know, don't be going out spraying them just because there's a couple of little pinholes in them. Small bit of damage is of no harm. Okay, super. <clears throat> and somebody wondering, they have a clematis. It's not in flower now. Can it be cut back? Well, it depends what clematis is, is um, because, you know, clematis are actively growing at the moment and, and many of them will be coming up to the point of flowering. So if the listener maybe could text us back in the particular variety, and um, this is, you know, the only clematis I would be pruning at this time of year are those that have finished flowering in the spring. So the likes of Montana, um, which flowered back in April, early May sort of period, it's gone out of flower now. That could certainly get a, a trimming back um, because it'll flower on the new growth it produces during the summer next spring uh, but apart from that uh, the summer flowering ones should be left alone okay great stuff I'll come back to the question about the acer a little bit of tidying yeah. on the clematis is no harm if you want to tie in the branches and bend the branches in no harm whatsoever or even pinching back some of the shoots to thicken them out that's no harm but I wouldn't do any severe pruning on summer flowering clematis now, I have two peony roses, says Eileen in Ballina. One which I think isn't getting enough light as buds are small and scarce this year. Mm. Wondering, can I move it and when is the best time to do this? And also, secondly, what's the best treatment for greenfly on hydrangea? Oh, OK. So, again, the greenfly on hydrangeas and, and slugs love our hydrangeas as well. Uh, so if, if they're very badly damaged, Eileen, I'd put on the bug clear on the hydrangeas um, and that, that will get rid of it. That's a natural treatment that works really well with hydrangeas. Um, in relation to the, the um, peony roses, they do like to have a, a quite a bright open area. Sunlight is important for uh, peony roses. The time to move them is November. They're actively growing at the moment. So leave well enough alone. Uh, maybe give them a liquid feed, build them up a 
little bit and once they die back in November then lift them as carefully as possible try to take as much of the root as possible put down some organic matter when you're planting them as well they love a bit of uh, stable manure or mushroom compost or something like that and um, they'll be back up again next spring and do they need a lot of light peony roses they're better they need at least a half day so kind of west facing south facing is generally a better, better. Uh, location for them they'll tolerate some shade but not not not, not all know, the not heavier all the shade the less flowers you're going to get the more taller and leggier the plants are going to be so you and know a bit of sunshine yeah, is important yeah. our daylight at the very least what is the best soil for sweet williams and why do my sweet williams develop elbows and flop well, <laughs> sweet williams produce really big heads of flower, so they're quite heavy, a bit like sedums. And when they do come into flower, they can fall over, particularly if we get kind of wet weather. Um, now, this is a plant. So first of all, sweet williams should be sown from seed at this time of year in June. Once they're about two, three or four inches, maybe six inches high, you pinch them back and that makes them stronger. It keeps the overall height shorter. It creates a multi-stemmed uh, uh, sweet william and uh, you tend to get more flowers but slightly smaller heads of flowers and the plant stays more robust it doesn't flop over same happens with wallflowers this is the time we sow wallflowers but you need to be pinching them back during the summer period and that simply just thickens the plant up you can end up with a multi-branched plant uh, with a lot more flowers but the heads of flowers aren't as large and you don't get this flopping effect from them so both wallflowers and sweet williams left unpinched tend to just flop over. Okay, so they just need to be... Yeah, you make them more more, more turgid, more sturdy if you pinch them back during the growing season. Okay, a little bit of control on them. Yeah. Now what I would do is if the flowers have fallen over is just cut the cut the uh, stem back, cut the old flower off, prune it back and it'll reshoot again and reflower again. It's not too late to it's do that with late. Sweet Williams, yeah. Now what's the best feed to put on camellias? They're very sick and brown and looking what's and also wondering what's the best for, thing for roses that have black spots, asks Anne. Well in terms of roses you should be feeding them once a month and treating them once a month with, with Rose Rescue you or Rose Clear just on a reg, regular basis on a dry day. Um, in terms of the... What was Bla- the black spot. Oh, oh, well, that uh, will control the black spot. So yeah. feeding them and, and treating them with Rose Clear or Rose Rescue will keep bugs and pests away. And camellias is the other oh, issue. Yeah, sorry, camellias. So you're using an ericaceous feed and this is the time to feed camellias because they will produce the flower buds in August and September that will come into bloom next spring. So rhododendrons, azaleas, uh, Pieris forest flame, camellias should all be fed with an ericaceous feed every fortnight from now right through to the end of August. Now I have two large 50 centimetre ceramic flower pots which I'd like to keep outside all year round. Okay. Would you be able to suggest some suitable plants for them please and Mary is in Castlebar. All oh, right, okay. Well, 50 centimetres so it's less than two feet. Um, so maybe something evergreen. There's a lovely plant in flower at the moment. The parahebes are absolutely gorgeous mm. at the moment um, covered in flowers and of course they're evergreen. They'll retain the foliage. Maybe Pittosporum tom tom is a nice little foliage plant. There's another lovely plant called Pseudo wintry eye which has got kind of creamy um, evergreen foliage again a small white flower but a nice foliage plant and, and very neat little plant my advice is really pop into your local garden centre have a chat with them and there's, there's a wide choice of plants at the moment even the hydrangeas the dwarfans limelight or bobo would be lovely they are deciduous but they give fantastic colour right through uh, the summer, summer period, yeah. Okay, and we've got some white fly on a copper beech hedge. Very common at the moment, so if anybody with beech hedging, just check it. Look at if it's an established hedge. I don't bother 
treating mine at all and they have white fly on them at the moment and uh, it doesn't affect the the tropolinium so I don't bother treating them if they're young plants I would definitely treat them and use something like the bug clear so young hedges of of beech you know if they're three four five six year old certainly treat them Uh, but if they're established hedges don't bother your head lovely Uh, we've got uh, wondering about the best weed killer for a creeping buttercup in a lawn to feed it is it and give it a nice bring it on bring it on remember the buttercups are in flower the bees are, yeah. are visiting at the moment and really my advice with, with lawn weeds is not to treat them whilst they're in flower so if you can leave them alone uh, maybe for another month or six weeks um, and then as we come into August as the, the flowers are gone off all the broadleaf weeds in the lawn if you need to treat them then treat them with something like Dicofar or um, the, the Hygieia Green Force they're all specific lawn weed killers they'll kill all broadleaf weeds but not whilst they're in bloom Okay, and Mm. we've got somebody with a problem with lupins. They're starting to die from the bottom up. The tops of the flowers, though, are fine. Any ideas what might be causing that? First thing I would check with them is lupins at this time of year do get an aphid. Uh, There's a particular aphid that attacks lupins. It's a big, fat, green bug uh, and it can cause kind of stickiness and sickness in the plant and definitely the flowers would start to fall uh, from the bud. Um, downwards or, or upwards I should say mm. um, so check for that first and foremost now the flowers on lupins tend to open from the base up anyway so you know it's always the the end of the lupin flower that opens last the very tip of the plant um, so you know they'll age naturally from the, the bottom, bottom up anyway and once they start to age and once that coloration goes up certainly up halfway up the stem that's the time to prune out the flower and it'll throw out a new bloom so if you if you deadhead lupins on a regular basis, don't wait for the whole thing to fade. As as the flower is kind of fading halfway up on the stem, that's the time. That's the to trigger to prune it back. So maybe every two weeks, go out and remove some of the old flowers, and that'll stimulate lots of new flowers to be produced again. Particularly if you give them a liquid feed, because the poor old lupin is trying to produce seed, and if you allow it to sow so seed, it's going to that's finish. It. It's, that's it's it. Done. It's done. It's done. If you it's stop done. it from doing that, it continues to bloom. So are we deadheading from the bottom up then? Well, no, you're, you're, you'd prune out the entire stem. Right. So you wouldn't let, you know, some people will wait until the, the oh, last the, flower. And then, it, and then <laughs> and the seed is produced, there. The seed has already been produced yeah. lower down. Okay. And I think that might be what the listener's describing. Again, if you want to send in a picture maybe yeah. by WhatsApp, we'd have a look at it. Okay. We've got a sedum in a pot here, Porik. Sedum spectabilis, yeah. yeah Lovely plant. Scroll back to it now. Breed is in Kerry. And she is asking, is it a good time to trim this sedum as by September last year it looked miserable? So, Brita, now is the time. Go for it. It needs its Chelsea chop uh, now. So, yeah, it's it's about six inches out of the pot. It's absolutely a great, great specimen of a plant. It's about, well, it must be nearly two feet in diameter. So, pinch out the tops, Brita. All you're doing with, you know, small secateurs or a sharp scissors and literally prune out every top of the plant by just an inch. That's all you're removing. And that will keep the sedum. Because again, a bit like the Sweet William, the problem with the sedum, we call it the ice plant as well. It I was going to say, what is sedum... Uh, spectabilis. Right. Sedum spectabilis, or the, it's often called the the ice plant because it's got, when the water goes on the leaf, it kind of gives that icy... Oh, lovely. Uh, the lovely. It's a lovely little plant. Even without the flower, it has that kind of succulent type of growth. But the problem, in, not the problem, the challenge in September is that the plant gets, the flower heads are so big and so heavy, it tends to flop over. So if you pinch it back now a pruning is even mm. the wrong word just pinch it back or trim it with a uh, with a secateurs or a, or a um, scissors just slightly taken off an inch of each of the ends of the growth you end up with a fatter fuller shorter plant that won't fall over that would be absolutely 
gorgeous. So it's kind of the Chelsea Chop. It uh, is the Chelsea Chop. Right. Uh, yeah. approach. So do that, do that to, to it now. Okay. Now we've got uh, a couple of photographs in of an Acer Porrick. Yes. All right. And this is from somebody who is in the Lockray area. Okay. Uh, it's an Acer gotten from a garden centre in April. Very healthy. Started to die off in May. They think it may have been affected by the frost. Cut off the old leaves and some stems uh, that were black, but has given up hope. But last week now they see new growth starting to appear. The main stem is still black though. Do you th- think this tree is going to make it is essentially the question or would you be able to rec- recommend anything or what might be the story? Okay, so looking at, at the, the tree itself, you can see clearly on the main stem, mm. on the trunk of the tree, that it's gone black. Yeah. Okay, there is growth at the base, but that tree will never develop that nice acer lollipop shape that we look for. Um, my advice to you would be to take some pictures of it, pop into the gar- garden centre that you purchased it in and ask them would they consider replacing it? Because most garden centres will, you know, for example in Hawkins we would yeah. have, we have a five-year guarantee on our plan. Oh, so right. if there's a problem with them, we'll replace them. So check with your local garden because that, that tree is not going to, it'll grow from the base, it'll grow like a bush, but it's going to lose its overall shape. So the main stem has died and it's not frost damage. Um, so I, w- I would, a, young, a newly planted tree like that, really replace it, to be honest. Now, Maura is in Castlebar, and I know this is probably a question that we have addressed in various uh, points over yes. in recent times, but from different listeners. Um, but anyway, we've got uh, a Lalandii hedge, I think it is, uh, established over 20 years, and we've got uh, some browning on it, as you will see there. So Maura is wondering uh, what might be the problem here, and is there anything we can do to treat yes, it? Yes, so this is Castlewellian gold. This is the golden Lalandii, and the brown streaks in it are due to aphid attack that could have possibly happened back in March or even it could have happened last year. Mm-hmm. So conifers like Lelandii, there's an aphid that attacks them um, and you don't see the damage for several months after that. But atypically, it's this browning, brown streaks through the, the hedge itself. My advice really is just to trim that as much as you can. Just trim it back, tidy it back and hopefully the young growth on either side of it will help to to grow in and periodically keep an eye particularly in springtime for a little green aphid that that comes on to um, Lelandia hedges Okay. Now, Anne has sent us in a photograph oh, of her uh, flower bed yeah. area. And uh, we've she has foxglove and sweet William growing together. Lovely. So to fill the gap between them next year, wondering what seeds should she sow now? Uh, she'd also like a bit more colour. So we've got a bit of pinks and greens going on here. Now, it looks yeah, very the good. The sweet Williams and the yeah. foxgloves are doing really well. And if, if um, Anne wants to keep to that kind of cottage garden, this is the time of year for sowing the seeds of all cottage garden plants. So if you want to introduce maybe some blues, delphiniums would be absolutely lovely. Monkshood would be another nice plant. Lupins. So lupins are flowering now, but we sowed the seed. Now. In June, in June now. And and the temperatures at the moment are absolutely perfect for sowing the seeds of uh, lupins. And does that just go straight into the ground? No, I would, I would start, you could do them in thing, but the slugs will get on them. Better to do them in a a couple of trays or containers first, get them up to their, if you sow the seed now, by August, September, those plants will be a foot high, they'll be really strong, plant them out into the garden soil, they'll be perfectly happy and they'll be full flower this time next year. Hostas will be lovely as well, uh, which would look really well. But any of the cottage garden, pop into your local garden centre, look for some hardy annuals, 
even things like anthraniums would be nice, Godisha, English marigolds. There's loads of stuff that you can sow in June, July that will flower this time of year, next year. And consider, remember that the foxgloves and the sweet williams flower, you know, late May, June, July sort of period. You want to be thinking about other times of the year as well. So something that might flower in springtime like candy tough or yeah. something that would flower later on in the autumn like asters or that sedum. The ice plant That's would be lovely, lovely there as well. Okay, you'd have a nice little bit of yeah. variety. And a, and a really good time of year for planting seed but also um, if Anne wanted to get some plants mm. so to flower this year that will come back no, every year earlier. after that. Some of the cottage garb, the Alstromerias and Phygelius, they're all available at the moment. Now, uh, good morning. Our tomato crop yes. <laughs> are not as good as other years. They're in a tunnel, watered and fed. Any help, uh, asks Joe, would be much appreciated. And yeah. he's given us a photograph there. Yeah, and they're, Joe, they're not too bad now. To be honest, they're, they're, they're yeah, I mean, look, at the, the season has been quite um, cold. The spring has been quite cold for mm. tomatoes. Um, you know, the plant is... It's what, it's about probably 18 inches, maybe two feet high at the moment. You're seeing a little bit of leaf curl, curl on yeah. it. And leaf curl generally is associated with that kind of colder, warmer conditions. When you get fluctuations in temperatures, tomatoes roll their leaves. It's not a disease. It's simply down to climatic conditions or weather conditions. I would just leave it alone. Joe, Joe's doing everything right. It's planted in the soil. Just be careful not to be giving it too much water. Once a week is more than sufficient. And I think you'll find as soon as we get a bit of heat, Mm. the tomato will start to jump. Great. So, like, my own are, are I won't say, they're probably, a, a, they're not too dissimilar Okay, well, that's, that's good, Joe. <laughs> that and can I just say, Joe has very fine-looking cabbages oh, in the background. fabulous in yeah. the background. Yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I wouldn't worry about it. Look, there's a long season yet for, for tomatoes to flower and fruit. Oh, look at that. Oh, look at this. That's fabulous. Right. Kilmaine Village Enhancement <laughs> Group has a lupin in a pot with at least 50 flowers on it and they've just shared it with it's us. It's incredible. Our super lupin, it surely is a super Absolutely lupin. We're just zoom, now, you see what we're I'm, zooming what I'm, in on it. Right, yeah. See what I'm saying here? See see the centre? See how the, the where you have the cursor there? You yep. can see the seeds being produced on that lupin. Oh, so okay. halfway up on the stem, the seeds are being produced. The rest of the flower is still in bloom, but it's at that stage, this stage now, that they should remove that centre. Centre. Uh, plant, yeah, right. that centre shoot. And there's loads of other buds that will replace that. So I would go through that. I know there's 50 on it, but I would go through that and maybe take 10 of them out, particularly those that are produced the seed of the base, because it's just going to encourage more to come on. But it's an absolutely cracking plant. And the seeds are kind of like pea pods that are furry. They are. Well, it's in it's in the pea family. Mm. Lupins are, are related to peas. They're all in the leguminosae family. And they do very well in pods because they fix their own nitrogen, like peas. So they actually kind of feed themselves yes. to a certain oh. degree. Uh, but that's a cracking plant. Oh, yeah. Really, that's really good. The Kilmaine Super Lupin. Love yeah, it. Absolutely um, gorgeous. Now, uh, I planted a bare root boxes hedge in March. Is it too early to start cutting and shaping it? No, no. Um, you know you know what I say about uh, plants and training them. So start them young. Um, a light trimming back is no harm. I mean, literally just you're taking off a couple of inches. And really what you're doing there is you're just training the plant to produce, to get thicker, fuller, bushier plant and train it into the shape uh, that you want and the, the earlier you start to be honest the better so now would be a really good time give it a light trimming back shape it up and give it a little bit of feed 
Okay, great. So we've two photographs here from Breed. So it's an anthurium, anthurium yeah. And so yeah. we've one inside and we've one outside. Geranium, yeah. So yeah. <clears throat> I think on the anthurium front, the question is, does Breach need to repot it for yeah, it? Yeah, I think it's time. It's, actually, it's, it's in terrific condition. Some of the flowers are beginning to fade. So that one on the right of the picture, mm-hmm. that low down, that one needs to be trimmed off. So any of the... So anthuriums produce... They call it the painter's palette because it produces... It's a modified leaf rather than a flower. So the leaf changes to this reddish colour and it tends to stay on the plant for weeks, six, eight, ten weeks, the, the flower will remain. But once it starts to go a little bit brown, that's the time to trim it back. It's really, really healthy. There's another half a dozen blooms on it anyway. Yeah, it looks great. So repot it into a multi-purpose compost um, and keep it indoors. Do continue to do what you're doing because the plant is absolutely in terrific condition and it's, it is a relatively easy plant to grow the painter's planet and what was the question the geranium? Uh, so we've got a geranium in the ground and the question is what do we do with it well it's beginning it's to a, flop yeah. <laughs> flap over a little bit um, now look it's in full flower so I would just kind of leave it at the moment um, when it goes out of flower give it, give it a trim back so maybe in about three to four weeks time as the flowers start to fade trim it back it'll reflower again and um, come back perfectly yeah. fine again. Okay, and we're moving on to a rhododendron this time, um, and it has finished flowering. Yeah. It's a, quite a, a good specimen of a rhododendron, big one. Um, so, can we trim it now? Absolutely, and it's a great, finished flowering. A great question. So, rhododendrons are kind of on the last leg of their flowers. Um, so, as they go out of flower, and exactly at this stage, so there's still a little bit of flower on it. Mm-hmm. So, the temptation is to leave it and let every flower fl- to flower. My advice is to trim it now this weekend. So. Give it a trimming back. You can trim it back with a shears or electric trimmers, um, taking five, six inches of growth and then feed it. And that's going to encourage a really strong, bushy plant with lots of flowers for next spring. Mighty. And that would apply to all spring flowering plants. As they start to finish, that's the time. Don't be waiting for the last flower to fade. You know, once the show has kind of gone over, trim them back and feed them. Okay, and we'll stay with rhododendron. Somebody wondering, can we move them? I've three established Mm. about six years, just finished flowering. Can we if, move them now? If they're in pots, there's no problem. Yeah. If you have them in large pots or containers and you want to plant them out, there's no problem. If they're in the ground, leave them until um, October, late September, October is the time to, to move rhododendrons. Okay. Will hydrangea paniculata grow near the sea with salty winds? Well, it's, um, it's I mean, it, it's as hardy as the normal um hydrangea, the ordinary mop head hydrangea. What I would advise the listener to do is to go for maybe some of the shorter varieties like limelight, bobo, vanilla freeze. They tend to be relatively, they're kind of under a metre in height, very bushy and very strong. And do remember with the paniculatus, you're cutting them back in the winter like a rose bush. So they're not there physically to be damaged. They're, they're only six inches high from uh, the middle of November right okay. through until March. But well worth a try in the seaside areas. It really depends on the level of exposure. We have some very poorly looking dahlias we here. Have. Uh, they're di- are, are they dying? Asks, uh, I don't know if we have a name to go with this. No, we don't. But anyway, there's two dahlias, a, a lovely light pink one and a yeah. deeper uh, kind of properly pink one. They're a little bit scorched and damaged. Yeah, and they're only sown a week. Yeah, so my advice here is actually to take all the flowers off them. Okay. Sorry. Are we starting from scratch? Is that it? <laughs> Start them off because all the energy is going into producing those flowers now. Remember the dahlias will flower till November, right? So what's happening with those plants is that all the energy is going into producing those flowers. There's no new leaf growth coming on the plants. So I would actually take all the buds, all the flowers off the plant with a scissors, give them a good liquid feed, focus on developing the foliage on the plants for the next couple of weeks and they'll come back into flower in July and flower right through to the end of the summer.
Okay, lovely. Uh, is the enclosed geranium a trailer or does it grow into a mound? It'll I guess grow. It's, yeah. Yeah, so this is either Johnston's Blue or Roseanne. Um, they're a beautiful blue flowering. Um, yeah, very pretty. Geranium, yeah, a yeah. really nice plant. Um, so my, my advice, to be honest, is if you could, it's in a pot at the moment, ideally it should be out in the garden soil. Here again, I would actually trim this plant back I know it's beginning to flower um, and the temptation is just to let it grow as it mm. is, but it'll, it'll remain very weedy. If you trim it back now, plant it into, into the garden soil, it'll be back in full growth and full leaf within three to four weeks, particularly if you feed it, and it'll be back in flower for July. Okay. So you'll actually make it a bushy. Normally they form a nice, thick, bushy plant, uh, but that's just gone a little bit leggy. Okay, that's that's quite a big... Uh, so that's the geraniums that you plant out rather these than the... These are the hardy, yeah, hardy so, geraniums. Yeah, just to be clear... There's with, so many different kinds of geraniums. Yeah, so these are the hardy, frost-hardy, kind of a cottage garden geranium. and There's loads of really good varieties. They're perfectly frost-hardy out of doors. You can divide them every spring and move them to other areas of the garden. You treat them like you would a hosta plant and they're totally hardy. So they're different to our kind of Mediterranean geraniums that we use in the hanging baskets and that. Okay, we're off to Bangor Eris and Lovely. Anne is there and we've got a photograph of something almost tropical looking yeah. to my mind. Um, uh, it's a kind it's a of a tree, cordyline, good. Yeah. Um, so wondering, uh, what can we put on the leaves? They're going brown. Yeah, so Bangoraris. So you think of the wind yeah. in Bangoraris. And look at look at the landscape around yeah. it. I mean, it's right open to the wind. And yet, look how brilliantly it's growing. Yeah. So that's, like that's really plant. tall. I mean, how, how many feet is that? That must be, well, the fence must be at least four feet. Yeah. So it must be at least 10, 12 feet <gasps> tall, right? It's multi-stemmed. Um, the, the natural occurrence, and, and because of the wind, you're always going to get a little bit of browning on this plant. Having said all of that, the young growth comes from the centre, which would be perfectly healthy. As the leaves are pushed out, they go yellow, brown. That's totally natural. That'll help happen in the most sheltered garden. Okay. So get yourself a, a secateurs, trim off all the brown leaves, give the plant a feed, it'll produce lots of new growth and over time those that old growth will start to go brown again. So periodically just go out and trim back the leaves but it's absolutely in great condition. Okay, somebody there with uh, some rose bushes about black spot. We have uh, talked about that a little yeah. bit earlier. We're moving on and uh, Let's have a look here at a pyracantha, I think it is. Um, so our pyracantha, for the second year running, the buds have turned black. Right. Don't think it was frost, as buds were not out. No. Any ideas? Yeah, it's it's um, apple scab. So um, apples and our pyracantha, I should say, is in the apple family. It's in the rosacea family. Okay. And see the browning on the buds, yeah. browning on the leaves as well. Yeah. So what I would do is... Um, get yourself so tidy it up trim off anything that's gone brown and damaged give the plant a feed and get yourself a something like fungus clear which will stop um, the spread of um, apple scab on the leaf and on the flowers of the plant so give it a feed trim it back feed it and give it a treatment of the fungus clear and especially next spring put an application of that on as well. Okay, we are starting to run out of time, so we're just going to answer this very quickly. Uh, it's identification question, Porrick. Well, you should be able to name this one. in Williamstown. It's one of the lanterns. <laughs> is it the Chilean or the Chinese? I don't know. It's Which? the Chilean. It's the well Chilean. So, uh, this is... so we have Kathleen. Yeah, so Kathleen is in Williamstown and she just says, I saw this on my travels um, and would you be able to identify it? Yeah, so this is uh, Crinodendrum hookerianum and named after a, main, uh, a famous plant, um, 
a botanist who, who went all over the world collecting plants called Hukriai. Um, but in loads of plants named after him. So this is the Chilean lantern, not the yeah. Chinese lantern. Okay. Um, lovely plant, evergreen, Gorgeous. and they're absolutely beautiful this year. Okay, they're and they, they grow quite big, those things. Well, it, it, that's With, up to yourself. Yeah, you can right. keep it pruned and keep it to whatever height you want, but it's, they're absolutely spectacular with these red... Um, and funnily enough, the, the plant I mentioned at the start of the world, the tropolinium, yeah. that's from Chile as well. Okay. We have some brilliant plants from Chile. Uh, we're out. We're way out of time, I'm afraid, so we'll have to leave it there. But we'll be reminding people about the... Uh, the Tropolinium speciosum. Remember, it. it won't be available. Don't go into the garden yeah. centre and start asking for it this next, weekend. Next, next Saturday, Saturday we'll, we'll put it on, on sale and I'll remind people about it again. Okay, brilliant. Listen, have a great week. Thank you Thanks, so much. Georgia. Okay, not at all. Uh, thank you as well for all your questions. Apologies if we didn't quite get to yours, but there's always next week. Until then, have yourselves a great weekend. Good morning to you.